Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode where I get to speak to incredible people from around the world and I'm truly excited today because today I'm speaking to somebody from the British Army but a person who is also a fellow Sikh and uh, a person who's a bit younger than me but he looks a lot younger than uh, the, his years seem to suggest. He's told me he's been in the British Army for 20 years. Salvjit is a uh, British Army Sergeant Major, which means that he's sort of the conduit be the, between the officer in command and the rest of the squadron. So I think that's a really fascinating uh, sort of position to be in. Salvjit, really good to see you here. Thank you so much for joining me today. I know how busy you are. It's a real pleasure to have you here. Cool. Thanks very much, and uh, you know, giving the opportunity to come and uh, share, uh, you know, the stage with you, and uh, you know, talk about the leadership. And moving. I'm looking forward to our conversation. So, thank you very much for having me. I always have a bit of a conversation with any guest who comes on, and it's normally like five minutes. And I just checked the time. We actually jumped on about ten, fifteen minutes ago, and. In the end, I just said to Sarvjit, should we just press record? Because we're literally, from the moment that we started talking, we were all, to, all already doing the podcast. It's a fascinating conversation that I've had. So we'll try and repeat some elements of that podcast. I love the insights that you've had around leadership and from your experience and from your knowledge already. So Sarvjit, we've been in sort of a, a similar field, both been in uniform services. I spent 32 years in police service. I always love to speak to people from within the military because of the synergy that, that, that we have. Uh, you spent 20 years, I can't believe it's 20 years, you look far too young, but 20 years in the army. I said to you when you told me 20 years, somebody's looking after you because you look so good and you no, I look after myself, <laughs> which I suppose is the, 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 the best trait of a good leader, look after yourself first and foremost. So just explain your role to us as a sergeant major. I find it fascinating. Uh, yes, uh, so being a squadron sergeant major, it's it's a quite privileged uh, and a unique position because you are, as you already mentioned, it's the link between the, the officer commanding and the soldiers on the ground. So you can see the both sides mm. of it. You, you uh, see the both mindsets. If the officer commanding or the SHQ elements are making some policy and decisions, it's kind of one of my responsibility to understand them and think from soldiers' perspective whether that's going to affect them in a negative or in a positive way. If it's a positive way, then I have to take this policy and speak to the soldiers and sell it to them, you know, by saying so we have a less resistance by putting in a positive way. Equally, if the policy comes as a negative to me, I'm thinking, well, it's affecting me. So what about these soldiers on the ground? Then I need to challenge my sort of like the such government by saying, sir, 
we need to take it from a different angle. We need to think it from their perspective. It's a real challenging situation to be in, isn't there, between the, the like the front line and the person that's in charge of this unit of people. What 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 happens? And you must have had these situations. What happens where the the the, the thinking is so far apart? Are uh, you know maybe maybe the soldiers on the ground just don't believe or accept or or have faith in what's been suggested by the officer in charge? Or what if the officer in charge? Things aren't going so well. Maybe they're not performing to the level. The squad is not performing to the level, and they are frustrated and and you know and are suggesting that it's down to the soldiers' personal performance. And you're the person stuck in the middle. How do you manage those situations? I suppose that's all about the environment, the culture we have within our um, squadron, especially within our organization. And luckily, you know, the leaders we have in terms of the officer commanding, you know, he could be uh, a late entry commission who has served as a soldier, now is commissioned, now he's already done like 35 years plus, right? So, they have, yeah, so they have been in their, you know, uh, in their shoes. They have done the same time as the soldiers are doing right now. So they always are very quite... Um, open-minded, uh, they are very like self-aware. They know how this policy is going to affect them. So normally, ninety-nine percent is always they know the best for they know the best interest of the soldiers. So it's always a, a positive way. Uh, you know, as I said, to, uh, I said to you already, it's always down to that cultural, the environments, the rapport with each other. So I like always go and knock on officer's office. Sir, can we have a chat? Right, this is sort of like things bothering me or bothering the soldiers. Can we do something about it? And a good leader, which our officers mostly are, they always listen to the concerns. Is okay. You know what? That's actually a good shout. Let's implement that. So it's quite easy. Sort of the the challenges, sort of the culture uh, we have, is make it little life a little bit easier for me to go and implement that. Equally, the approachable approachability from my soldiers to me that they can come forward and say, look. And that has happened in the past since I've been in this job role. They always come and say, can we have a chat, please? Yeah, please sit. Yeah, because you said something in, in our pre, pre-chat, pre really, uh, before we press record, you, you talked about, you know, traditionally, yeah. the sergeant major role is uh, seen to be this individual. In fact, this is how we've always seen the sergeant major role. You know, every time you see them on TV, in old films, they're the person that shouts at people. Uh, but you said, you know, you've challenged that view and you've moved forward and there's a modern way of approaching and your modern style of leadership. And it sort of links into other things that I've heard. I mean, I've interviewed other people from the army and my, the one conversation that comes in particular to my mind is Dean Canham, who is the lieutenant colonel in charge of head of the British Army Centre for Leadership. And he talks about, hey, you know, he says, cool, um, Everybody expects the army to be this ultra-disciplined environment where everything is about command and control. But what they don't realise is, actually, we put a lot more emphasis now on social intelligence and emotional intelligence. And you've mentioned some key words just in the last bit that you said. You talked about self-awareness. You talked about uh, rapport. All of these are facets of emotional intelligence and the way that you talk to and the environment that you create with your soldiers. So where does all of this come from? Is this something that the British Army seems to be, you know, increasing in its style, in its culture? Where was that shift for you? You've been in 20 years. It must have shifted significantly. Where did that shift come from, do you think? I suppose, uh, you know, it comes from a sort of two sides of it. A, you already mentioned the uh, strategic shift in a culture. 
uh, which means, you know, like, and sorry, secondly is the, the lived experience. And they both are sort of like, uh, have a sort of reciprocal relationship in terms of when I join the armed, armed forces, I always seen people when they shout at, you know, the soldiers, you know, to make this thing happen. So I, as a soldier, as a leader, I would say, where every time this happened to me, and I see how this has impacted me, have this person lost me already? Am I taking any inform information? Because the, this individual is kept shouting at me. No, I'm not taking anything in. So I said, when every time, if I be in this position, you know, or in the in his role, I'm gonna change my mindset. That's how I'm gonna make have more impact down on that one as well. Secondly, is the shift in the culture, uh, in the cultural organization culture as well. You know, um, since definitely seen a massive transition into it, being the like the old military when people used to shout more than anything else. I think now people understood that by shouting, you're not gaining anything to be a bit more productive and have the relationship. You need to listen to your soldiers. You need to listen to their concerns and you need to be able to provide a solution or go back and implement that sort of environment and culture where they feel included, they feel valued. So that's the sort of bit is now the armed forces are working on it. And uh, the bit more education, I would say probably as well. I think now since the uh, Center for Army Leadership has been established, they are more focused on the leadership that, you know, leaders, what about leaders, you know, look at this way. You know, it's not about defining a leadership, it's about what leaders are and what leaders do. And, and also sort of, I guess, within that, it's it's like breaking that groupthink mentality. A lot of organisations, this is not just about the army, but a lot of organisations get stuck in the, the same way of thinking for years and years and years. So it becomes very difficult for them to think differently. And I guess what the that's what the uh, uh, Dean Cannon's uh, work is going to involve opening the army up to a different way, a different way of approaching, much like the different way that you've approached your rank of uh, sergeant major, I guess. I suppose that's the diversity of thoughts, isn't it? That's probably the, mm. the, the there has been the uh, sort of the, the main factor, the driven factor behind this cultural change, because there's more uh, people, you know, coming from ethnic uh, uh, minority from the Bay background, when they've been in the leaders positions, you know, they always bring something new. I was reading quite interesting book, uh, a thousand way of looking at sort of like different things. Why this thought of diversity is more important for a leader, because you have you know a team which thinks alike. That means you producing the same outcome. But when you have diversity of thoughts within your team, you're probably looking at one problem from ten different angles. So you going to find the best solution and that's going to enhance your productivity. And I think this is a really important point because one of the questions I want to explore with you is is something that I, I've done myself and I know it's had an impact on me is um, you, you're talking about diversity of thought and you know it's like my faith my background my upbringing has had and I, and I know it's had an impact on how I lead how I've shown up and how I've treated other people how I build relationships uh, and you know one of the the, the the core principles of Sikhism, uh, as we are both Sikh, one of the core principles is this concept of seva, which is selfless service. So I've adopted the concept of seva as like my core values, like my number one value. So everything I do has to come from a place of service. Uh, and when I became a senior leader, I had to have a really serious conversation with myself and said, okay, you know, you've got uh, you've got all this stuff on your shoulders. You've got this fancy hat, which is behind me right there. Uh, and, and people salute you. But actually, what is your job? Is that your job 
a position of authority where people are saluting you and saying, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir? Or actually, is your position a harder position of responsibility where you're serving the people that you're leading? How is your faith, how is Sikhism and your upbringing sort of form the leader that you are, do you think? Has it had an impact for you? Oh, absolutely. And I totally agree with that because, you know, come from a family who were more religiously, you know, and I was, I remember when I was a, a young kid, I used to go to the Gurdwara, I used to listen to the prayers. And the one thing if I have picked up within my faith and belief is the, the values of Sikhism. So when I joined the armed forces, you know, they talk about the values and standards. So when they said that the value standard is, you know, courage, discipline, respect for others, loyalty, integrity, and selfless service, and I said to myself, is that not been I've been doing since I've been a young kid? Because there are so much similarities between the Sikh principles, values, and standards. And the truth is, you know, when you break it down for any single individual and say, what, what are your values? Because I genuinely believe that most people are good. Mm -hmm. Okay, but most people don't actually know what their values are. So when I do the work with leaders, I say, what are your individual values? And then they, we do this piece of work and they come out with the values. I always say, now how do those values align with your organizational values? And often they do. If the organization has got good values, yeah. often they do. I love the British Army values. I love everything that they stand for. It's clear that a lot of thought has gone into those. So you're right, when you compare those to the values of your principles and values of Sikhism, yes, they will fit and they will fit for many other religious pathways as well. Yeah. So my mindset has always been like that because I've been, you know, doing that. And I, when I came into the armed force, my transition was quite natural. And I think that so probably had a bit of a, um, impact on me by, you know, having that knowledge and understanding of those values. And for a leader, I think what matters the most is the awareness of those values. You know, you've got to understand those values in terms of exploiting the culture and the environment and see, does that work? And if it, as you said, that if they don't align, that means something that leader has to work on those values because every leadership has to have those sort of values and ethos and the history. Absolutely, yeah. Do some more. So, uh, yes, it does have the positive impact on me and probably the, the leader I am today has probably had that massive contribution from my uh, my faith and belief and the mindset I had. Well, one of the things that when we talk about diversity and inclusion and um, we've talked about this groupthink mentality, you've mentioned another key phrase of mine, a popular phrase of mine, which is diversity of thought, cognitive diversity. You know, I, I've... When I was like a founding member of the Black Police Association, uh, I was constantly saying that we need more representation. We need to create percentages for police forces to, to match the demographic of their communities that they serve. And of course, we've managed to get that through. Home Secretaries uh, finally approved that jack straw back in the, 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 the early noughties. And, but my thinking has changed now. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, let me just talk this through with you and just test my thinking against yours in so much as I don't think it's necessarily about representation because if that's the only measurement that you're going for that 3% of the army for example has to be BAME okay so you go out and you recruit 3% and they are BAME but does that change the army does that influence the army to think differently because what happens if the 3% that you bring in have all been 
to the same school, t- same type of schooling, lived in the same kind of uh, socioeconomic areas, have the same kind of thinking. Uh, it doesn't really work then, does it? It doesn't really shift the organisation because the thinking hasn't changed. And you mentioned cognitive diversity, which the more I have thought over the last few years about cognitive diversity, I've realised that's what's much much more important, that we hire people in uh, that can think differently, have had different life experiences, but then we need to create a culture in the organisation where we allow and celebrate them bringing different ideas to the table. What are your thoughts on that? So I always say, you know, the people have different sort of perception about the diversity. You know, some people relate that diversity to your the nine characteristics we have within the armed forces. But my sort of my own view of diversity is about not your background, it's the skills you're bringing to the organization, right? What abilities do you have which can contribute to the overall operational effectiveness and the success? But more often when we focus on the diversity, we forget about the inclusion. Yeah, I think we focus more about the inclusion. You know, it's all right, good to have the environment where we have a different diversity within the organization. But are we being quite inclusive? And that's where culture comes in. Absolutely. And I think you're right. I think I, I think you're absolutely right. I think the argument should be about inclusion because we've already actually got diversity in our organizations, but we're not seeing it because we're dampening it down because of the restrictive policies that we might have, the restrictive thinking that we have, the traditional groupthink mentalities, the echo chambers, all of this kind of stuff. And and then I think when it comes to diversity and inclusion, very often the, the, the conversation gets hijacked and therefore stalls because we end up talking around things like biases. Unconscious bias is a popular phrase. And the more I think about it, the more I think, why are we talking about this? Because at the end of the day, every human being has a bias, right? We all do. It's what separates us from being any other animal. We have these biases. But it's when those biases lead to discriminatory behaviour, that's when the problem arises for me. I would say that's unconscious bias. Because I always, so uh, in my previous regiment, I had the role. Uh, this was a phase one establishment where all these uh, civilians join the armed forces, go through the recruit, um, go through their training, and to be a phase two thing. So I identify there's a little bit of cultural uh, lack of cultural awareness. So uh, I spoke to my commanding officer, and we started this initiative by saying, let's talk about the cultural awareness piece of it. And the, within that culture awareness, we talk about the four stages of the, the awareness. So the first one being the blind one, where the people have the unconscious bias and they think this, the whole universe is according to their own vision. So if I am like this, everyone else is like me. So that means that individual would say anything to a person which is already at the proficient state of the awareness they might find, well, that's quite offensive. How can you say that? Not understanding there's a massive gap in there. So my whole point was that to bring those individuals in the middle where they both understand the, uh, the strength and weakness and have that common ground where this un- person understands, well, there, there is a difference and I know the difference. And this individual knows, well, this has been happened because of lack of education. Now this person has a bit more awareness now we're the common ground. And this is being a bit more inclusive and having that sort of a common ground where you can move forward as a team. And I think that's quite important as a leader within an organization to have that culture where 
identify strength and weakness and make sure there's a common ground where there no one is being um feeling excluded being mm-hmm. being outgrouped and things like that so um by you know when we we realized when we did this and results were so much better so many people forward and said that you know what we didn't know that for example uh, i would say if a gorka um soldiers will there he will not look into your eyes now we're talking about the complexity of the culture well it's not because that in the serving soldier he or she is not confident it's because their cultural norm is they don't look into the eyes as a sign of respect when we have micro behavior for example uh, someone from uh, caribbean they have a, that bit of relaxed body posture it's not because they are lazy it's just because they've been brought up so having this little bit micro knowledge about the micro behavior added up so much better knowledge to those section commanders so they understood that like you know what this is my unconscious bias is going out of window now i know why this person act in, in a manner that means i can provide the opportunity in order to unlock the full potential so that is probably a sign of good leadership understanding the strength and weakness i think that's brilliant and and i remember the, the that similar pieces of work being done you know uh, several years ago in the pleasers but i think the only challenge to that is the world has changed so now in this country for example we have second generation third generation and maybe even fourth generation jamaican indian pakistani whoever else uh, uh, so as the as each generation comes along what happens is they become much more generalized in terms of their behavior mm-hmm. they may still have some of the traditional upbringing or insights into their historical cultures but actually they become much more generalized so you talked about like the relaxed posture for for someone who comes from Jamaica i understand what that means but does that would that happen for a second third generation jamaican who's born in this country uh, and for uh, 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 an indian born in this country like who's now third generation i know that my children don't think like my parents or like my grandparents right so i think this is the real challenge that exists for organizations we can't I think it's been really difficult to keep compiling like like an encyclopedia of how people in different generations might behave. So one way that we can do that is by opening up our culture so that we just know that people are going to be different. When they walk in through the door, people are that every single person is going to be different. Uh, and one of the problems I have with things like the nine characteristics is that it homogenizes people, right? So they're saying it's it was almost like saying all black people think like this or have these needs or gay people have these needs or women have these needs and we all know that that's not true. So it, it it's sort of in a way it's sort of counterproductive and counterintuitive for me and that's that's sort of where my stumble has come when it comes to diversity and inclusion. So I think that my my personal view on it is that if you change your culture so that everybody is welcome and everybody's thinking is welcome and you can structure it to to be much more agile and creative as an organization it's to everyone's betterment and i think the army is doing something around that kind of stuff you know i think that's why probably you're embracing emotional intelligence a lot more yes absolutely and i think that's where the emotional intelligence comes in uh, being a leader to understand the culture understand the challenges you have understand those values and kind of adapting yourself like you know 
when we have that you know shouting mindset when you become uh, for example a sun major or a officer commanding you can't shout at people you know you have to adapt as per the situation uh, when you adapt yourself that's probably one of the great quality i think a leader you know uh, have is the adaptability and understanding that once you adapt and understand that i think this is where you work towards the inclusion culture where that you can accommodate not every single need but in creates sort of things where like i has already said that people feel valued feel, people think they've been uh, treated appropriately they've been you know looked after um you know uh, and that sort of things uh, you know you can implement that for example like you know not like little things uh, i probably would say like during ramadans you know if the muslim if you have the muslim soldiers you know they do fasting you know it's just by making sure that if they require to open um, for example phase 1 if they need a food before the sunrise make sure that is available because you know this is little things you can do it for example if they have to do a pt during those times how can we accommodate the needs during that time you know like little things always makes that adds on to the biggest success and operational effectiveness whether both parties either the organization and individual can unlock their full potential and that's sort of the key thing is there no i think that's really really good uh, and i think that's really powerful you you mentioned adaptability which i think you're absolutely right by the way um it's very important for organizations in this world to not only be adaptable but to be agile cuz this world is changing all the time right it's literally changing day by day something that happens on another side of the world or another end of the world will have an impact in in where we are in our little corner of the world as well uh, and and organizations even traditional organizations like the the army will find themselves having to flux and and change and 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 adapt on a on a regular basis so how do you keep your mind that flexible to be able to adjust to this like you know there's a phrase the vuca world the volatile and certain complex and ambiguous world it is a very vuca world so how do you as a leader maintain your flexibility in your mind to to remain adaptable I mean I would like if I say you know what I'm quite uh, you know I keep an eye on everything that would be absolutely like because as a leader you can't just focus on everything is where you need a good team and I think the best thing probably as a leader I personally uh, being an open minded if I make a decision if I say something if someone challenges me I don't take that as a personal I just take a, a counter moment take a step back by saying is this person is challenging me in the right way in terms of have i done something wrong or have i done something right in order way i probably say no how dare you ask me the question don't answer back and things like that you just do what you've been told to do that and this is where i think that shift has been changed now i will take a step back and i will understand or reflect what i just said being an open mind is quite good because not always as a leader you're going to make the right decisions right or having that sort of uh, humility i would say that you go out saying team i don't know how to do this i have no idea who can help me out here you know and as at the diversity of thoughts someone in your team will definitely have an answer to that challenge once that you know has the answer and you just take forward thank you very much and then you implement that i honestly i, I genuinely believe that that's a very important part of leadership 
uh, whether you call it transparency, whether you call it humility, whether you call it vulnerability, I think it's important that the people understand that your job as a leader is not about knowing everything, but your job as a leader is, is about coalescing people and influencing people to go in a certain direction, but looking for the experts who might know what they're doing. So, you know, when I was a a senior police officer. I was a gold commander. I was a gold commander that specialised in various different sort of uh, specialisms from public order to firearms uh, incidents through to major incidents. And for each one of these, when uh, such an incident arose and I was on, on call, I would have a specialist TAC advisor a tactical advisor from that specialism. So it was a firearms incident. I would have attached to me a firearms tactical advisor who would say to me, look, boss, you've got these three options. You can choose these three options. We need to be mindful of this, need to be mindful of that. I make the ultimate decision and I might disagree with what they're saying because I had a lot of experience, but I have to be able to justify why I'm doing what I'm doing, right? Uh, and I think it's important. I, I put a lot of value on these people because they were experts. And my job as a leader is not to be the expert, but to be able to make the decision to pull in the right direction, to set the strategy, to get people moving in the right direction. And I think to be vulnerable, adaptable um, and human in all of this, I think is so very important. When you talk about, you know, being that kind of a leader, I, a, a word comes to my mind and that's democratic leader, where you get people together and say, hey, guys, this is the issue. Let's put our uh, ideas on the table and, and, and see what happens with that issue. Is that what you're talking about? Is that something that you do an awful lot of? Within the, within the army, uh, you cannot have a fixed leadership style. I think no. the leadership style change with the situation. And that's exactly the point I was uh, trying to allude to, this whole fluidity of leadership styles. Yeah. So I'm so pleased that you said that, Sarvjit. But I think the democratic leadership style is important has a place, but then there's going to be times when, God forbid, you know, you see uh, some kind of action uh, and you will have done in your time and then you have to get into command and control leadership style, very coercive leadership style where, you know, it literally is you do that, you go there, you do that. And then afterwards you can maybe relax that leadership style and go into another leadership style where you can debrief that situation, I'm guessing. Exactly. So when you're in the battlefield or in the operation tour, isn't it, then your leadership is going to be transactional, right? Mm. my plan go and do that and your followers understand that you know what he's the leader he's got a plan if i follow his orders my life is saved that i can go back home safely but when you're in the barrack or in the camp you're more going to be a more transformational you know you're going to be a bit more a servant leader you know we call out about the seva and things like that looking for your followers interest but i think equally um we talk about more, we focus on leadership, but we kind of neglect sometimes about the followership as well, because without any followership, leadership doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, that's a whole different subject. I, exactly. I've literally just looked at the time and we're into 30 minutes already. Uh, and I'm, you've just opened up a whole new can of worms. I think we're going to have to come back and just talk about followership, because that's a... That's a subject that we can dedicate a whole, whole other episode to of another 30 minutes just talking about followership. But uh, I, I saw a quote recently, and I, I'm going to have to paraphrase because I, I know this quote won't be accurate. But it said, uh, great leaders are also great followers. And I think that's a good way to end this. But that sort of sums up what you just said there. Uh, so thank you so much. Listen, subject, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure speaking to you. Time always flies by when you're having great conversations and it's certainly flown by today. Thank you so much. 
Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.